This week, we speak to Ola Alabi, co-founder of Shoreditch-based fashion label Cold Laundry. Born into Nigerian heritage, Ola grew up in London and Kent and spent his childhood travelling with his adventurous parents, a key destination being the artistic markets in Italy where he witnessed different design practices. This early influence introduced him to the world of fashion design and helped shape his creative expression and independence. Following a brief career in professional football, Ola went on to work at River Island, where he met his now wife and fellow co-founder, Cerise. Together, they shared a passion and interest for fashion design and dreamed big for a future they knew would involve being entrepreneurs. Years later, after one fell footwear label, a few creative projects and an inspirational six-month trip to South Korea, they launched Cold Laundry in 2019. Ola and Cerise have since achieved major success, organically generating 1 million in sales during the first trading year and opening their first brick and mortar store in July 2020. The couple have work balanced down to fine art, where Ola focuses on marketing, creative direction, campaigns and collaborations, and Cerise predominantly focuses on product design. The rest is shared amongst the cold laundry team. In this episode, Ola paints a real picture following the journey of Cold Laundry from the couple's early days hosting a pop-up store in Box Park, Shoreditch, up to their future vision, which is nothing short of creative. We discussed the importance of networking with people such as suppliers and manufacturers in the early stages, being resourceful in order to generate cash flow, it's not just an idea, and trialling price points for products. We also touch on hiring team members and the inside point of view of selling wholesale to retailers. It's hard to not be inspired by Ola and Cerise's aim to achieve a state of mind, feeling and lifestyle, and Ola consistently finds himself immersed in the fashion world. You don't want to miss this one that teaches us passion drives success, and that for me completely honest this was one of my favorite interviews to record if you do love this episode please leave us a five star review every month we're given one lucky winner the chance to win a gift card of their choice and hopefully it will be you thank you very much and i hope you enjoy this episode Welcome to the Designer to Designer podcast show. This is a safe space created for aspiring and startup fashion designers entrepreneurs. Through this podcast show, I sit down with some of your favorite independent designers and give you exclusive behind the scenes access to their lives and brands. I aim to make sure you get to know the designers for who they are and finally engage with relatable stories. We touch on everything from mindset to finances to their childhoods and their biggest, wildest fashion dreams. This podcast is hosted by yours truly, Rebecca Tembo, founder of a self-titled women's wear label and the entry platform which produces this show. Now sit tight, enjoy the ride and get ready to be blown away by today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Ola. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I um, appreciate it. So I'd love to really paint a picture about your journey prior to Cold Laundry. Um, let's start with your upbringing and childhood. What did those early years look like for you? Uh, I was born in London. I saw sort of London Bridge. So I'm a South London boy. Grew up in Elephant and Castle. And my, my parents were relocated from Nigeria to the UK. So it, it kind of started with them. And when I was... Around seven, eight, we kind of moved out of London to, to Kent. So I didn't really have that full on London experience as, as a kid. But 
I had a very cool upbringing. We, we traveled a lot and my, my mom was into fashion. My parents were into fashion as well. So we would go to Italy and we would go to like Rome. And as a kid, we would go to the markets and see like really cool artistry as well in terms of clothes making, um, shoe making, cobblers and all, all of that sort of stuff. So we kind of got our, I won't say passion from our parents, but the shining the light on that part of just fashion making from a, a really early age for us. So I had interest from that. And yeah, I moved around. I also lived in Nigeria where I studied for a few years as an early teenager. You know, I came back to the UK and moved around again. <laughs> I lived in Scotland as well. So I was well-traveled as a kid. So yeah. Did you feel like those experiences shaped you in any kind of way? Just living in so many different places, being around so many different people? Yeah, I think it did. I think I became very independent uh, from a young age, especially like living by myself and going to boarding school and making my own friendships. And just being, being on my own really kind of shapes me um, in terms of independence and in terms of understanding other cultures, being well-balanced as well, it, it, it really did make me who I am today, yeah. So what were your initial dreams or plans before, like before fashion? What did you actually think you were going to do? I wanted to be a footballer. So when I moved to Scotland, I was actually, I played football in Scotland. I was like an early pro. I played for a team called Gretna in the Scottish Premier League. And then I moved to Malta. I don't know if you know Malta. It's like a, it's a tiny island. And I played football in Malta as well. So I, that's, that was my path. That was my goal. That's something I wanted to pursue as a career. It was never, you know, to be a fashion designer or to have a fashion label. In my early 20s, that's something that I just wanted to focus on and achieve, but it kind of didn't work out. I, I lost passion for it. You know, we, we found ourselves in a different path. So, yeah, that's what I really wanted to do. Um, it was just being a footballer and nothing else. So, um, in a feature by High Sobriety, you mentioned we didn't go to fashion school or internet do or anything, but we were super into fashion. Um, I'd love mm. to know about how you and Cerise met and why you decided to go into fashion. Funny enough, in my early 20s, I was trying to find my feet. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I found myself in retail just to kind of get by. Uh, so I worked in River Island and I met Cerise in River Island as well because she was working there as well. It, it was funny because I saw her on a day when it wasn't my shift and I, I was just literally in the store because I loved it so much at the time. And I saw her and I was like, oh, wow. So I got my uh, manager to change one of my shifts to hers. And I, so I get to know her, you know, trying to be really sweet. We got sp speaking, we hit off and we grew our bond through work and that developed into something else. And, you know, six, seven, eight years later, we're married with two kids. <laughs> but yeah, we, from the goal, just shared an interest and passion for design. We loved brands like Acne Studios and and wanted to dream big and just try and go out there and do our own thing because we just felt it within us you know working for someone else wasn't really for us and our passion really laid in being entrepreneurs and having our own businesses carrying out a vision and a goal so um that's how that kind of developed through conversations between us through us spurring each other on through us just dreaming and believing and 
hoping one day we could kind of do our own thing. Who initiated that conversation of let's actually do this? I think it was through just being lost really we tried to do a few things here and there but it didn't really pop off um we were thinking okay we need to really figure out what it is we wanted to do so um i think it was just through just sitting down and brainstorming and both of us thinking what can we do what's our passion where do we have experience may not have gone to school for it but where do we think we can use our skill set developed to really make a difference, essentially make a living? So it was fashion. It was just through both of us, really, just having that conversation. You, you mentioned that you tried a few things here and there. Were they related to fashion as well? Or was it just other ideas that just didn't really work out at the time? Yeah, it was other ideas and also um, related to fashion as well. So it, it was, we started a footwear brand and... That, that was difficult because footwear is such a difficult market to try and enter and we didn't really have the cash flow, the funding to really push it. That didn't quite work out, but we've done things here and there, but it wasn't like we started a fashion label and that didn't work and then, no, it was just like things not related to fashion, things that we, maybe it was through recommendation or, mm. you know, like back in the early 20s or mid-20s, there used to be all these schemes, pyramid scheme businesses. Yeah. I'm not going to say names. I think like Herbalife and Forever Living, like stuff like that. So we tried to do stuff like that, but it didn't really work out for us. So what were the first initial steps you made? Like now you know what you want to do. You know it's a fashion brand. You know, well, you've got your inspirations, cause, etc. What were the first steps? We actually had a friend in the Shoreditch area. So he was the catalyst for all of this. He used to support emerging brands. So his whole concept was bring emerging brands to the market. He had a brick and mortar store and to showcase them. So with our footwear, he actually put that in his store. As I said, it didn't really do well because we didn't have the cash flow, the funding to push it. But we got close with him. He spoke about how he went to Korea on time and he loved it so much. And we spoke to him about our dreams and vision to to start a fashion label. And he said, why don't you guys go out to Korea and get some inspiration? And we done it. We, we spent a good couple of months in Korea. And that's when things changed because we were so inspired by the Korean aesthetic, the Korean take on fashion, the clothing, the, the cuts, the silhouettes. Just everything, the, the culture, and it really inspired us and really opened us up to a new way of design, new way of maybe showcasing product. And that's, that's where it all started. And that was the point where we came back thinking, yeah, we could really do something and smash it. Amazing. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because that was my next question because I know you spent six months in South Korea, which is a long period of time. But yeah. it must have been so exciting. I, I think Asia in general is just such a great place for inspiration. Like they're generally the people that set the trends. So to be able to go there and see it in real life and not just, you know, on Instagram or, you know, some of them go to Selfridges <laughs> and see it yeah. there. So it's nice to see it in real life, which is great. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like that was a much needed experience for the launch of Cold Laundry? Like, do you feel like you had to go there? Um, 100%, 100%. Yeah, like it shapes everything. Yeah, because although we knew what we wanted to do, that kind of gave us direction and it gave us, this is it. Like we've, we're inspired now. We just need to act out and 
take our inspiration and make it into our own kind of way. So that's what we've done. So the trip was definitely worth it. And I feel like the pandemic was so detrimental to the growth of the brand in, in a certain way because, you know, I love to travel. So we love to travel and we love to go and get inspiration. And, you know, when we weren't able to do that, it, it kind of put us in a box in a way where we had to find other ways. And whilst you were in South Korea, sorry, um, was it just kind of like going around and seeing things, going to like stores and stuff, or were you also looking at manufacturers or suppliers? So we were going to stores, we were just being immersed within the city energy and seeing how people dressed. And we networked with suppliers, manufacturers, shipping agents, fabric markets we we done the whole thing we had a long time to settle in and really plan our route and i think that's what really helps the fact that we were there for a while we didn't have again cash flows are always a problem with any beginning business i always tell people that sometimes you have all these ideas and if you don't have the cash flow to execute it's difficult but you just need to get resourceful and find other ways and that's what we done because we worked with suppliers in the beginning people who could almost like white labeling and uh, produce clothes that were in line with our aesthetic and branding but we just had to change colors or change details or change fabrics instead of having to do massive production with not a lot of money that that wasn't really feasible for us so um that's that's how we started out in the beginning okay so then i mean you, you've spoken about lack of funds quite a bit so how did you guys raise the money to start your brand was it through savings did you get investment friends and family I think it was friends and family supported us in the beginning, but it wasn't much. It was just like, okay, we're blessing you with this. <laughs> so it wasn't much, but I think what we done really was just work with suppliers. There was no minimum quantities. We bought two pieces or three pieces or one piece and then kind of curated a collection and then we pull it out there. And then we started flipping through that way. We'd buy two, we'd sell, we'd buy six, sell, we'd buy 20. Mm -hmm. So when we're in a position to start making our own stuff, that's what we started to do. Cool. So walk me through those early days, including like your day-to-day -day schedule. This is more like the nitty-gritty stuff. So the stuff that nobody sees, and I think sometimes we often forget, but it's also like part of the grind. And I guess sometimes you look back and you think, I actually miss those days. <laughs> in the beginning, we when we launched a brand, we had a pop-up store in Box Park Shoreditch. And we were there for even a week and we done exceptionally well. This is obviously when we have come back from Korea with our with a plan we've done exceptionally well the reaction was great people were asking where the hell we've come from if we're staying they want more me and Cerise was like this is actually a thing this could actually be a thing so we spoke to the management at Box Park to see if there was any available units and thankfully enough they was and we asked them if we could take it and they were a bit hesitant they were like okay you guys are new brand new business cool, you've done a pop-up and it's done well, but are you sure you can run a fashion business, fashion brand? Because that, essentially that's what it is. With Faith, we said, yeah, and they gave it to us. So that's when things really changed. We had a space, we used our pop-up money to, you know, produce small pieces 
and we worked in the store on a day-to-day, shipped products from the store to our customers online, acted as sales assistants as well, done photo shoots, you know, even started to design from the store as well in the um, stock room. So everything was really from our box park store. So that was our day-to-day. And what was that feeling like, getting the keys, knowing that this space is yours, just from more of like an emotional standpoint? It was overwhelming and it was like, yo, I can't believe this. This is this is crazy. How are we trying to open a store? Part of me thought, can we actually do this? Part of me was like, nah, your pop-up has shown that people need this in the area and let's just try push it. So at this point, it was still a passion project. It wasn't like, this is our business plan. We're trying to kind of see a gap in the market. We're going to kill it. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like, okay, I was still doing, trying to look for work on the side. So he's still working on the side. It was a passion project. So it was a bit of, okay, let's see how it goes. Wow, this is crazy. Wow, if this pops off, it might, might actually be a thing. So, yeah. And you've mentioned Shoreditch a few times as well. So I guess, who would you say that your customer is? Like, who do you design for? Like, how do you design for them? We design for the alternative and um, a customer who also wants an alternative shopping experience who wants to escape the noise who loves minimalism like a customer who isn't necessarily about the hype but doesn't mind wearing a brand that speaks quality has a story just an alternative brand to say cars and acne studios so we designed for a customer who may not have a lot of money but our price points are still attainable. A customer who wants to look good, a fashion-conscious customer, you know, between the ages of 18 to 34. So, yeah, that's the kind of customer we designed for. I hope that answers your question. No one's actually asked me that before. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I guess you would know because obviously you see them in the store, you speak to them, yeah, you have those relationships with them. And it's just interesting to think because when I think of your brand, I also think... Shoreditch, but definitely the side of Shoreditch where it's it is very fashion focused and you mm-hmm. want to have an identity and express mm-hmm. that identity through what you wear, but at the same time it's not forced because your your style is very minimal, but it's still something that I can look at and, and notice if that makes sense. And obviously you can really see the quality as well just from looking. So I feel like I can I can picture that that customer, but I wanted to know kind of what you thought they were from your conversation. I've noticed a recent that our customers also shop maybe hype products and mm. products that are loud, but they come to us for that subtlety as well. Mm. It, it's a good mix. It's a good mix. We definitely offer balance to many customers in a way. And has your price point always been the same or have you like increased it as time has gone by? Our, our price point started off really low. We've increased our price point over the last six to 12 months. So we found a really cool mid-market price point for our garments that also help us continue, you know, stay profitable as a business, but also we're not trying to kill people's pockets as well. We want to stay within that mid-market price point. Our, our price point has increased a little, but so has the quality. When increasing that price point did you have any kind of like worries I think even just for myself like when I was 
just released this uh, recent collection. It wasn't the first time that I've charged prices like that. And I've always wanted to be in between premium and luxury. Obviously, I'm all about quality and craftsmanship and you have to pay for that, you know, and all my stuff are made in England as well. So there is always going to be that sort of extra cost to it. Sometimes that fear of not, is it worth it? Because I know it is, but like how it can be received. And I find that my media audience, so the audience that I can easily reach don't spend that much money on clothes so often you know they'll go to like fast fashion brands which is fine but the woman that you know is going to spend 300 pounds on a jumpsuit she is just in a different stage in her life and I've had to make like a conscious effort to reach her you know but there was that sort of like mental obstacle of like oh I don't know if I can do this more from like a, a fear standpoint if that makes sense yeah I agree. I think for us, we I made these really cool crop leather jackets mm. and they were expensive to make. But the price point I would have to sell it at is expensive. But I was like, it was even a thing where I was thinking, maybe I should not produce this or try to produce it with a leather that isn't the same quality. But no, I don't want to jeopardize quality. I want to keep quality high. So how can I get around this? Maybe I can change some details or... But no, I didn't want to compromise on quality, full stop. So I just put it out there and I sold it for the price I sold it at. So I tested it out in the store and people bought it. And that was a shock to me because I was thinking, wow, you're actually going to spend £500 on a leather jacket that I've created, that me and Cerise have created and... I thought that was expensive, but then when you look at other brands in the market selling similar pieces, it's even more expensive. But because it's us, I think we naturally feel some sort of fair, maybe overpricing. But that's where you, you also have to see value in your work and value in what you do and the time and effort you've put into creating your product. Mm -hmm. And if it's of quality, then you can charge what you feel you should charge and if the customer appreciates it, they'll pay, you know, and that's my kind of outlook on, on that now. Like if, if it's quality and I've put out my best work, it should be, it should be charged at what we believe it, it costs. So I, I've, I'm kind of getting over that fear because I have struggled with that in the past. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, it's the same. Once you see customers buying, you're like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah, shopping. Yeah. One thing I've learned is there's a customer for every product at every price point. Mm -hmm. There is someone out there that will buy your stuff. So that's something that also keeps me going. It's, it's so good that you have that difference because you will have like the products that are less expensive, shall I say, which are like entry level. So people that are obsessed with the brand, but maybe they're really young and don't have money, maybe they're in university or something they can go and buy that just to feel like they're a part of it. It's the same way people go and buy a Gucci bag. It's technically, it's accessible because it might be like 500 to 700 pounds, but it's definitely much less than the bomber jacket, which could be like 3,000 pounds. So it gives you that like entry into the brand. And then as you yeah. level up in life, you can start purchasing 500 pound leather jackets. So exactly. Especially because I get mine from All Saints, but I'm going to have to come to you now, clearly. And I would happily pay that price because you have How much leather. leather jacket? At All Saints? Yeah. Um, My one was about 300 and something, I think. 300? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. But there's so, different ones, um, so okay. it, it really depends, but they're always around 300 to 400. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So, in the first year, you made a million pounds of sales. That's crazy. For one year yeah. of trading. What would you credit that success to? 
it was just us having a unique aesthetic. Mm. We brought something to the market that it wasn't even from a product. The product was right. The imagery was right. The timing was right. The tone of voice, everything was right. I, I would just put it to consistency and us bringing something fresh. Just being in touch with people at a time, especially when representation was lacking. We put people of colour at the forefront of everything we do. It was like a breath of fresh air. And some people keyed into it, some people didn't. But the people who did really followed us through our journey. Maybe some people who didn't still loved the product and saw some sort of difference in the product in itself. So everything was just different and the timing was golden. That's what I would put it down to. We also had a store that helped us, you know, a quarter of our revenue in store, three quarters of it online. So that also helped. And online was just literally like picking up month after month. It was like a snowball effect. It kept going and going and going. You know, at one stage, we were gaining like 10,000 followers a month on, on Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's what I would put it down to. And did you find that a lot of that growth was organic? Obviously, besides, you know, people going into Shoreditch, seeing your store, etc., more online, was that more organic? Or did you like to invest in ads, things like that, influencer marketing? I've never invested in ads. I, I literally just started recently. I tried it six months ago for like a month and I didn't really, I wasn't focused enough to see value in it. But then I see loads of people and companies popping up on my ads. I'm like, yo, I don't want to see this. I want to be seeing my own ads. (laughs) So I started again literally about a month ago and we've seen some really good conversion. That cash flow we generated was without ads. That was all all organic. That Um, is amazing. Yeah, and I I pinched myself. But yeah, it was literally all organic. What you have done is incredible what you've both done (laughs) and it's so inspiring especially because I feel like you just don't really see people that look like us that are in that space and doing so well and I think sometimes you go on social media and it's maybe the same brands that are always being like shouted about and with your brand it's like it's one of those brands where it's like if you know it you know it and if Mm -hmm. someone's wearing it's like you have to just know and be in it to to know who that is you know but I love that you can do your thing and you don't have to be shouting 24-7 if that makes sense because you obviously have a really loyal fan base no we don't we don't shout at all all of our escaping the noise and Mm. like we try and live by that through everything from Mm. our our personal lifestyle to the way we present the brand it's all about escapism because we're all trying to escape something you know Mm -hmm. so with that money obviously that will sell so take away your costs etc did you reinvest in a team did you feel comfortable to pay yourselves like a salary like when did you get to that stage where you're like you know what let's put some money in our pockets and get some more people on board yeah so you know what you know i'm gonna be 100 percent transparent with you when you've got a fashion brand and it's, it goes beyond design and creativity. It's the, the business of fashion mm. is really important. And, you know, Ruigi from, from Rude, I, I love him as a creative director and everything is done there. He, he actually said something that um, struck to me one time. He was like, you don't win championships if your business side of fashion isn't right. Like, you won't win. We experienced that ourselves, like, having made that amount of money and maybe not having the right infrastructure Mm. to pull it back into the right places, maybe over-hiring or producing too much of certain SKUs or, you know, putting money into different places where, in fact, that was an unnecessary expense. 
you know so maybe for me as a creative spending 10 15 grand on one shoot because i wanted to build a swing you know i built a 12-man swing that you know cost me a fortune whereas i could have maybe done something different and invested it back into research or development or you know stuff that will add more value than just Oh, that's pretty. That's that's creative. Mm-hmm. We um made quite a lot of mistakes and we learned from those mistakes and you know, essentially we, we grew and it did give us opportunity to have more freedom mm-hmm. and to hire and do more and travel and to create beautiful shoots and try and make more products. But the pandemic affected a lot of businesses like our own. It just makes you question, okay, if you could go back and do the same thing you would navigate kind of pivot a bit differently more money more problems right <laughs> exactly <laughs> but I guess with that you only know what you know and it's it the most important thing is that you're able to reflect and be like okay yeah. we could have done this differently because I don't know if you've watched um that Netflix documentary I think it was Holston Holston yeah I've watched yeah. it yeah and in his situation he kept making mistakes and he didn't want to change and yeah. that ultimately basically led to his death really you know Mm. and everyone Mm -hmm. was telling him don't do this don't do this don't do this and he wasn't listening so it's just important that you're able to be like you know what yeah we messed up a little bit but this is what we can do moving forward you can't even dwell on it you just have to take on the chin and you know move forward and just do better so for sure absolutely and between the two of you how do you manage to like balance your responsibilities like who's more like product and design and then marketing and customer service or like managing people in the beginning i was more product and design and i still am but cerisa's kind of where she's been at home with the kids a bit and when she drops them in school she has time to design and be in her element she has really developed her skills she's creating an amazing autumn winter collection that we're launching and a spring summer collection as well so I've, I'm really surprised at the work she's actually done not that I didn't think she'd do it but she's just evolved in a way I didn't think was possible so real credit to her for doing that and so she's more product design now and I'm more marketing creative you know campaigns collaborations that's what I'm really focused on at the moment and then we have people in now who can kind of run the business and drive the business forward in a way that doesn't affect my creativity or Cerise's creativity because you can't do everything of course of course and what would you say like if if someone's about to hire their first employee who is that key first employee that you need like what sort of role would they have it depends what kind of void you're trying to fill like also depends what stage you're at in your business but I feel like Sometimes in the beginning, we haven't even got it all figured out. For mm-hmm. us, it's like we had people gravitate towards us who wanted to get involved, but we're like, yo, I don't even know what I'm doing to a certain degree. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't even know what to give you to do, but I know what needs to be done. I wore many hats and people we got involved in the business had a specific job title, but also wore many hats as well. Mm-hmm. So I can say, for instance, we're doing a collaboration with a really cool brand that's going to go live in November. I can't say what brand it is just yet, but we're collaborating, our first collaboration. And they have over 30 stores worldwide and they're really big and they have loads of people working in their company. So every day I get an email from 
a different person within the company. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this job title existed. So I'm now telling one of my guys that work for me, okay, you're going to need to be this person today <laughs> because I have this person emailing you. So it's just like wearing different hats in the beginning is very, is very key because we're still a very young business. But we've hired a production manager to help with QC and to help with our productions and our timelines and help us have a proper drop structure mm-hmm. because we have been quiet. We feel like customers want to be consistently entertained and kept in the loop and they want to see products consistently. We, I thought, and so he's thought that having a production manager who could facilitate that would, would really be key for us. Mm-hmm. And we hired a finance person, someone that could help with our business development, business strategy, and help drive the business and numbers, guys. So we hired that person. For us, it's just hiring as we go and not over-hiring and not making the same mistakes we made the last time, but just filling in those voids. You know, after you did the pop-up in Shoreditch and then you got that Mm -hmm. space, is that the same space as what you have now, the one that you got in July 2020? I just want to double-check. So we moved from the space in Box Park to our own brick and mortar store on Redchurch Street, which is still in Shoreditch because we thought we built a community, why not stay within the area? So let's have our first kind of flagship store in the area. So we moved to the next street, Redchurch Street, which is a quieter street, but people, customers come for us, which is still great. Cool. I just wanted to check before I ask my next question. Cold Laundry opened its first ever store in Shoreditch in July 2020, which is very, very exciting and obviously a huge achievement, but also it just shows the way the brand is growing to be able to do that. I'm curious because in 2019, 14,500 stores were closed according to a report online. So did you have any questions about going down the street? Because there's obviously been a lot of conversation about brick and mortar and the death of retail Mm. and stuff like that. No, definitely. I I think at that time we were on such a high. We weren't really listening to that noise. We kind of went against the odds and thought, let's just do it. We have a very loyal fan base and brick and mortar is what we've always known since we started. So it didn't make sense for us to not have that. It was difficult. I can't lie. It was very difficult and it still is at times, but I'm happy we done it and I'm still happy we we kept the store. We're pushing on now and um, things are getting better. So it was definitely a very risky thing to do, some may say, but it was a brave thing to do as well. And it, it took a lot of belief to really make decisions like that. And what was difficult about it? One of the things that was very difficult was, and it was a bitter pill to swallow, was having to still pay rent even though we were on a lockdown. Mm-hmm. There was no rent relief. And it's like, yo, how am I going to be able to do this because our rent isn't cheap especially in the shortage area so we relied on our online store to enable us to pay our install rent yeah that that was difficult staffing was difficult as well because we you have to pay your staff as well mm. so even though we weren't open we were still having to ship online products we were still we still had to run the business and still manufacture and produce and it was at a time when factories were really quiet they didn't really have clients either so you know we kind of tried to get resourceful and partner with factories to be like look we're in this together is there any way you could help us give us credit we pay you 30 days after delivery so we could try and generate cash flow so we were just trying to figure it out and just navigate through that whole process Mm -hmm. it kind of worked out and what's been the most rewarding part of the store seeing customers come in and be immersed in our culture and be a part of our world and the utopia and just feeling like they come into store and feel like they're escaping 
the city of London because it's such a peaceful and tranquil place. So I think that's been, for me, just being able to envision something and execute it and see that execution come to life and see people's reaction. That's the most rewarding thing for me. It goes past the clothing. Like the clothing is just a byproduct of what we're really trying to achieve. You know, we're trying to achieve a feeling, achieve a state of mind, achieve a lifestyle. And obviously running a fashion brand is incredibly hard and not as glamorous as it actually looks, <laughs> if glamorous at all. Has there been any moment you've thought, you know what, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we'll make it. Maybe we should quit. Yeah, literally. What did that look yeah. like? It looked like starting again. It looked like thinking, oh, maybe it was our one hit wonder. We've had our time. It was good while it lasted. It looked like just doubting ourselves. And it looked like just thinking we're alone. You know, people don't really understand the struggles and people don't really understand the implications certain decisions can have on your business. So it looked like that. But then there's always that belief. There's always that we've done it before. We can do it again. You just need to keep going. There's just always that inner thought, that inner voice that made us start to begin with continues to push us through. And some amazing things are happening. Yeah. Definitely could have quit, but we're not quitters, so... And how do you manage the rollercoaster of emotions that come with having a business? That's a good question. I'm still trying to learn. I found that the more successful, the more further we go in the business, the more problems we have. And it's weird because the more successful in business you are, sorry, in fashion you are, is the more kind of danger you're in as well. Let's just take, for instance, we've just got into wholesale we are producing for selfridges for ends for browns that's like from the outside yo that's great you're really going for it now you're you're in some really cool stores but people forgetting that that comes with having to find money to produce up front because some of these companies don't pay you up front you have to deliver the goods ship the goods then wait 45 days wait 30 days to get paid and sometimes it's even even sell or return. So if they don't have a good sell through, they return some product to you. There's all these pressures. So even though you're, you know, moving forward and moving up, you're also at risk as well. You have to be really careful and have a good structure and strategy and yeah. really know what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's so true. Where my studio is, I was speaking to my landlord and he was saying that before he got into, you know, office leasing and stuff, he had like a, a factory, a manufacturing unit and stuff. And he had loads of people, loads of garment workers, etc. And he was producing for Debenhams and like Monsoon, like the, you know, the big brands that we kind of grew up seeing on the high street. And he said, whilst, yeah, you can see millions of pounds coming in turnover every year, it was a struggle because sometimes it will take them a year to pay you. And when it comes to being stocked in, luxury department stores or even like ASOS for example which is like a normal retailer like you said like they can literally see something and say oh this is damaged we don't want it anymore <laughs> and then yeah. you spend all of that money on stock yeah and literally what can you do <laughs> what now can you have you to do? push it yourself and it's it's crazy there's been a lot of horror stories and it's important for credibility but then it's also being smart and thinking long term does this make sense this is part of my strategy yeah how can I put money aside for for stuff like that because it, it, it does take a lot up front depending on how much they're asking of you so 
Yeah, and then even like with, I, I would also say to designers that not everything that glitters is gold. Even though we're doing wholesale, we're still cautious of where we're trying to go mm. and for how fast we're trying to grow. And sometimes wholesale can actually harm your business, like in a way where you oversaturate your brand. Direct consumers, obviously, but best business, right? We'd, we'd all agree with that. So wholesaling can take customers away from you. So while you're promoting these stores who are meant to promote you, your business can be affected because that's less cash flow for you if you put wholesale in an area that's basically your market. I'm just waiting to see how this plans out. I don't know how it will affect ourselves. I don't know if it would boost us. It will definitely give us more credibility, but I'm just looking to see how this um, wholesale business kind of plans out for us. I'm excited yeah. for it, nonetheless, as well. Yeah, it will actually be very interesting because yeah. you will have the people that would want to just go to Selfridges because it's Selfridges and, you know, pictures, mm-hmm. lifestyle and all of that stuff and then think, okay, let me go and get this as well. But then you're going to have the people that, like, I'm someone that I like to go into the brand's boutique. Like, I, I will go into Selfridges mm-hmm. if I have to. It's just too busy for me there. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather go into the brand's boutique because I just want the experience of being there they've created the the store for you to experience it so you might as well go inside it so it'll be very interesting so besides you know maybe not spending so much money on a swing is there anything else that you think you'll do differently looking back at your whole journey i think we would save more maybe try not to grow too quick when i say growing too quick not take every opportunity that comes maybe be conservative with our hiring as well those are the things we will do differently and probably delegate more and not try and do everything because sometimes when you have a business you know it's your baby you are super protective of it and you don't want to give too much responsibilities out but you can't do everything yourself it's okay if you're not good at business but you're good at design it's okay if you're not good at design but you're good at business it's like your skill set is your skill set for the growth of any business you need people in place who can work to the best of their abilities and capabilities so i think those are the things i would do differently i would definitely go down the same route if i was ever to do it again i believe in physical touch like in in terms of interaction with products and just building that community at face value gives something different that online can't that kind of word of mouth spreads and then it's like a snowball effect and then you can start pushing on online so I think that was a strategy that really worked for us. And I think it can work again for other aspiring designers, you know, who want to take that route. So what are the next steps for you? What do you envision for the brand? The brand wants to do more Mm -hmm. pop-ups. I spoke to the team and they were saying they want to do more pop-ups. They want to open a new store in New York, maybe. New York is, we have a, a really strong fan base in New York. They want to grow wholesale in areas where we can't reach, in the Middle East, in Asia. We want to do more collaborations. And essentially, we just want to stay relevant and keep pushing the envelope, keep creating dope stuff, keep creating unique products, unique content, and keep evolving. They say a brand only has five years to really make it. I don't know if I believe in that statement, but all I know is we want to live forever. We want to pass this down to our kids and make this a brand that lives past us. With that mentality, you're you're not thinking about hype. You're not thinking about if people don't mess with your product, you know, one week, 
or one year or two years or whatever, you're like, you're here for the long run. So what does it look like in 10 years? What does it look like in 20 years? Mm. You know, in order to achieve that growth, who do you think you have to become individually? And I guess as a couple as well. We need to individually keep being self-aware of our shortcomings and keep being disciplined, keep being true to who we are, keep being passionate, essentially. I feel like passion drives success. As long as the passion's there, we will keep achieving because the work ethic will be there individually. And as a couple, I feel like we just need to keep communicating and you know, working with your spouse isn't always the easiest. People always ask how you do it, but it's just like communication, balance, you know, just being understanding of, you know, our needs and what we need. And sometimes I just want to be by myself and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I don't love you or you don't love me, but people naturally need their space and Mm -hmm. people naturally need their space to be creative. And sometimes, especially when it's a family run business and family are mixed into one. Mm -hmm. So you need to navigate through that. That's a whole different ball game in itself. So thank you for sharing that. Um, no problem. And if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, that this is the only piece of advice that you could give, what would it be? Just start from somewhere. If you have a dream, if you want to, it doesn't need to be fashion, like whatever. If you're creative and you want to achieve something, just put out your, your work into the universe because someone somewhere will see it. And when you start, you can always resourceful and find ways to grow and reach your audience but being able to start gives you some sort of fulfillment in itself how many times do we have ideas in our head and say yeah we want to do this and it stays as ideas in our head we don't really execute it and that for me is like death like that's just dying inside for me Mm. so just start start from somewhere thank you so much and where can our listeners find you i don't want to be found (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) Um, yeah, they can find me on Instagram, um, Ola Alabi underscore. You can also find me in store. Sometimes I'm in store. And yeah, you can find me on the beach somewhere just creating a shoot. <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to create something new and I'm going to be shooting a lot more now. So I'll put a lot of BTS. I'm going to start putting BTS of our creative process as well. So they can just follow me on Instagram if they're into what I do. Lovely. I'll put all of that in the description. Thank you so much for your time. This has been one of my favourite interviews, honestly. One of my favourites. Amazing. Thank you for having me. And yeah, feel free to come into the store. Have you ever been in the store before? No, but I will be. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you're inspired to take action on your dreams right away. If you enjoyed it, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps us expand our show and reach more people just like you. Until next time, keep striving and thriving.